I'm Kyle Homewood, Director of Community Engagement and Special Programs at Arizona Opera. Welcome to the Arizona Opera Podcast. In today's episode, we'll continue our focus on Arizona Opera's next-gen programs, programs that focus on developing the next generation of opera artists, audience members, and philanthropists. Today, we'll be talking about Arizona Opera's training program for up-and-coming opera singers, the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera Studio. This program brings young artists to Arizona Opera to spend the entirety of the season developing their craft and making appearances on the Arizona Opera stage, sometimes in leading roles. The studio also includes a pianist that typically plays in rehearsals and often in the orchestra pit during performances. And as of this upcoming season, the 2021 opera season, for the first time will include an assistant stage director as a part of the program. To give us better insight into what it takes to develop a career as an opera singer, as well as what happens within the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera Studio, I sat down with Christopher Cano, who's the head of music at Arizona Opera, in addition to being the director of the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera Studio. Chris, thank you so much for taking time to join me on the podcast to tell us a little bit more about what it takes to become an opera singer, a professional opera singer. Can I start by asking you, how long have you been at Arizona Opera? Well, I just completed my third season. Uh, so yeah, this coming season um, will be my the beginning of my fourth season now. That's exciting. And something I find so cool and interesting is that you're a, a hometown hero, if you will, a hometown boy. You grew up in Arizona and um, had some experiences early on with this company. Will you tell us a little bit about that, you know, your own history of, of growing up here locally? Well, I was born here in Phoenix, and uh, my dad, who was a carpenter by trade, moved his business uh, down to Nogales, Arizona, actually. And um, as soon as I was born, about a week after, we moved down to Nogales and we were there for about three years. Um, and then my dad moved his business uh, to Sierra Vista, which is, again, in, in Cochise County in southern Arizona. We were there for a good uh, maybe five or six years. And then eventually we came to Tucson and that's where I spent my formative years from about age nine uh, on up and yeah. ended up, yeah. And so I, I grew up in Tucson and uh, ended up going to the University of Arizona for both my bachelor's and master's degree. And, uh, and then I went to New York City in 2002 to do the professional studies program in accompanying and chamber music or collaborative piano rather. And uh, I stayed in New York City or based in New York City until 2017 when the position for the head of music and the director of the opera studio here at Arizona Opera opened up and I applied and um, 
and it sort of came full circle. I came home. I, um, oddly enough, when I was in Tucson growing up, uh, one of my first piano teachers was a gentleman by the name of Martin Wright, who at that time, this was in the early 80s. I'm really aging myself now. <laughs> um, Marty was uh, a really just a phenomenal, is rather a phenomenally talented musician in his own right. No pun intended. Um, he was, I believe, working on his master's in in vocal performance at the University of Arizona. In any case, uh, my teacher, one of my teachers, uh, was going to stop teaching, and she told my mom that she had a, a fellow colleague at the University of Arizona who she thought would be a really good match for for me and my personality and, and could really sort of inspire me the right way. And so Marty was actually um, also the chorus master at Arizona Opera at the time. Uh, and so I would have my piano lessons down at the old Arizona Opera offices down on Mountain Avenue in Tucson. And we would have them, they, I would have them, you know, the piano was sometimes in the lobby area, but more often than not, it was in the rehearsal room. And um, he would have me come in usually either right before rehearsals started or, you know, on weekends after rehearsals has ended. And so here I was having my lessons on um, opera sets uh, surrounded by props and costumes and things like that. Um, and uh, little did I know that, you know, I would, I would sort of end up working with uh, Arizona opera as an adult. But, um, but that was yeah. pretty, pretty cool to, to be able to come back and do that here, knowing that that yeah. was the history there. But yeah. That's a lot of fun. I, I love hearing more about that, that connection that you've had really throughout your life with this company. Um, I would love for you to explain a little bit more about this area of collaborative piano. Uh, I think it's something that not a lot of people, even in the opera world, know about because we think, you know, of course we have soloist pianists that that are playing concertos and other things, and and you've done a, quite a bit of that. But also, there's this whole other element of collaborative piano, and and how does one get into that, and and what does the training look like for that? I mean, playing piano is just such a great skill to have because mm -hmm. there's just such a broad spectrum of things you can do with that skill. And mm -hmm. I think the biggest misconception is uh, that goes along with it is that people think that, you know, accompanying is sort of a secondary role and it really isn't. Um, there, there, you know, piano parts for whether it's art songs or even you know, opera scores, the reductions, I mean, they're just as virtuosic and challenging as, as any of the solo repertoire uh, that's out there in a lot of ways. But what I love about doing the opera work, especially when I'm playing rehearsals, is I love just sort of experimenting with the different orchestral textures and orchestral sounds. You know, the there are no limits as to what you can do and what you can create from the keyboard. Um, every every run through in the rehearsal room is going to be different. Um, you know, some conductors want certain things, but, you know, and then there's the whole collaborative aspect of working with other people uh, in a recital settings. You're doing the one-on-one -on -one. Um, for those who are interested in chamber music. You know, there's, there's of course that aspect of it as well. My career didn't necessarily take that turn. Uh, it wasn't what came knocking on my door. Uh, working with singers was what really sort of, um, 
has allowed me to to work consistently over the course of of these past few years and um man it's been a really great ride i i just i never looked back you know i've, I've never knock on wood i've never been a day without work so so it's been a really great journey something i find so interesting and impressive about collaborative pianists is that you gain this understanding and really expertise in an instrument that isn't your own. So you, of course, have the expertise in in the piano and, and playing the piano, but then you start to develop this expertise, in at least in the opera world, in vocal production and what goes into that. And, and once again, in the opera world, a very natural transition is becoming an opera coach, which is such a vital role in developing singers and really bringing a, a work of opera together and bringing it on stage. How would you explain the difference between a vocal coach and a voice teacher? I always like to use the analogy of, um, you know, opera coaches are, are like interior decorators. Um, we, <laughs> in that, and I, and I use that analogy because my dad, of course, was an independent contractor. Uh, you know, to me, uh, nothing can replace a voice teacher because the voice teachers are the ultimate technicians and, you know, they build the voice with the student, a great opera coach who is, you know, versed in everything from the musical style that they're singing in or that they're performing in to the language they're singing in. This is why I say we're, we're very much like interior decorators. You know, any, my dad used to say every great interior decorator that he ever collaborated with understood the, the structure that they were dealing with. They mm -hmm. understood how, you know, you can't just knock down a wall in any given room. Um, they understood, you know, how to move things around within any given space. Well, you know, it's, it's very similar to what we're doing. You know, I, I think that voice teachers are like these wonderful people who build these amazing structures. You know, they, they're the ones who lay the foundation. They are the ones who put up the beams. They're the ones who, uh, who can look at something and, and, and build it from the ground up. And, you know, we as coaches have the luxury and, and the fun part of saying, okay, well, this person has a really wonderful technique or they have a really solid foundation. We can maybe do something really phenomenal this way. You know, here are the various possibilities um, that are out there for you to explore with this particular piece of music or this particular role. And, you know, I, I personally, my personal approach with any piece of music is, to to look at all the different things or all the different ways that something can be done. I don't necessarily like um, the notion that there's only one way to do something. I don't believe that there's one way or there's, you know, as long as it's it's not damaging the singer or the artist um, or, or hindering their technique in any way, then I think anything's possible. You know, it's it's it, and that's what makes it so wonderful and, and fresh. Yeah, I love that. I think that's my favorite explanation of that relationship that I've heard, the, the interior designer, interior decorator. That <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. So now that uh, I'm wondering what the proper construction uh, metaphor is right now, but now that we have the, kind of the foundational building blocks of how these uh, relationships work in, in developing a singer, can we talk a little bit about the process and how a young person basically becomes an opera singer and establishes a career 
as an opera singer. Um, and this is definitely an oversimplification, but certainly most singers start out by doing studies in undergraduate and graduate degree programs, um, which of course take a lot of time and work. But that's almost just the beginning. And when a young singer graduates from these programs, then there's still quite the long process in developing a career. So how would you describe that that process coming out of school? Or, or what is, and, and I guess another thing to make clear is that there's no one right way to do it and, and everybody's process is different and everybody takes different steps. But most typically, where what happens next for a singer when they graduate from a, a graduate program? Well, most young people will will apply for various young artist programs throughout the world. Um, mm-hmm. Most opera companies now have some sort of of uh, resident artist program, and there are different levels to that. Um, there are there are a lot of companies who have an educational component, which I think is a marvelous way for young people to sort of get their feet wet um, before they actually audition for a, a, a resident artist program. And the reason for that is because, um, you know, these these educational components entail a lot of a lot of performing, a lot of singing under various circumstances and acoustical situations and things like that. And what I love about that is that it really challenges them to to find within themselves um, the strength and you know they get to know their voice really well i oversang today or this acoustic was incredibly dry and terrible so how do i how do i protect my voice um so that i can sing through three more shows right to just to clarify for everybody this is in the educational setting of say an opera company has a touring show that goes around to schools or other things like that where you're singing in a school cafeteria with 200 uh, less than quiet children or or whatever else, and, and you're having to project in the right way, and sometimes doing two, three, four performances in a day uh, can be extremely challenging on the voice. Yeah, so, I mean, opportunities like that really... Um are 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 invaluable in that they they do they they give you that skill and i think that that's a very important skill to have um eventually uh you know they also will apply for various uh summer festivals or resident artist programs like the one that we have here at arizona opera um where the assignments are are you know again they vary from singing secondary or compromise roles to um, maybe uh, having their first crack at a at a leading role uh, in some capacity that that moment after graduation is always very telling as well because it's not an easy career path. Uh, it's not law school. It's not medical school. It's you know it, not to say that those are easy paths. Those are certainly not easy paths either. But there are no there are no um, there's no job security so to speak, and so. A lot of kids figure out right away whether or not they're cut out to to have this sort of career or this sort of lifestyle. Uh, there are all sorts of components that they don't teach you about in school, you know, living out of a suitcase being one of them, um, dealing with finances, things like that uh, as, a, as a freelance artist. Um, I, I hope that maybe after uh, this 
pandemic is done, maybe some schools will reevaluate their curriculum and offer some things that would enable these young students to to really sort of plan accordingly. But yeah, it's that that's a prescribed path. And then there are those who go a little bit rogue and maybe, you know, um, are so talented, uh, and it's rare that this happens, but are so rare that they they have something that's incredibly special and unique and, and they are, you know, they're discovered in a way that um, that propels them the right way. I want to talk a little bit more about what these young artist programs typically look like. And we can even focus primarily on Arizona Opera's Young Artist Program, the Marion Roos Pullen Arizona Opera Studio. So with these singers coming in um, and having this excellent space to have some security, some some job security, which you've, you've mentioned is not easy to come by, uh, but then also having resources around them to develop these skills and, and really search out their abilities and, and establish themselves as a singer. Uh, I would love to hear more about what what the typical day is like. Or, or that's hard because every day is different. What a, a month is like, or even a season. You know what that looks like for these singers. For for our program, I can't speak for any others, but for our program, I believe wholeheartedly in giving them that opportunity to swim in the deep end of the pool, so to speak. There's no better way of doing something without or learning to do something than just diving right in and doing it. And again, I, I base that on my own experience. I was lucky enough that I started working right away after I finished grad you know, after I finished school at Manhattan School. I I I went and got a job and and uh, you know did a production of Bohème in France. And um it, you know it was it was incredible. Uh, it was scary. Um, I didn't speak the language at all, and uh, I was in a country that I had never been in. And, um, but, you know, when you're that young, you know no fear. And so much of what I've been able to accomplish thus far has been through trial and error. That's really sort of what I've tried to create here. Given that we have, we double cast everything here, there are plenty of opportunities for these young talents to come here to, to get some leading roles uh, under their belt and to give it a go on our stage. And we have incredible patrons uh, who are so supportive and enthusiastic. They love seeing these young people up on our stages. They love watching their development and their growth. And we have wonderful conductors and stage directors who really, I think, instinctively take the responsibility to help these young people um, in the best way that they know how. And this last group of, of studio artists that, that just graduated, uh, this was really, uh, really telling in watching them go through this process. They, you know, they arrive on their first day. And um, one of the things that I really drive home with them is that, you know, I want them to start learning to depend on themselves we're providing them with these opportunities, but I want them to leave here after their their time here um, empowered. I want them to know that they are capable. I want them to know that they have it within themselves to do everything from teaching themselves their music to discovering these new ideas to learning how to handle the pressures of the rehearsal room. And they rise to the occasion in such a way they surprise themselves. They become fighters. And I love that. I love watching them 
walk out of here with their head held high and knowing that they they did it and they 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 will take that with them you know for the rest of their lives so what does that next step look like when they leave the young artist program and now need to go and find these contracts what does that look like well i you know for it, it varies from from singer to singer it's entirely up to them at this point you know I, again i go back to this last group because they were thrown a curveball with this pandemic their final performances in Ariadne Afnaxos and their studio scenes program was canceled and yet uh the very last zoom meeting i had with them they were all smiling and somehow knew that things were going to be figured out you know that they had the tools there's no secret formula to to being successful. There's so many things that you know, uh, I that that go into play. Um, sometimes it's just sheer luck, you know. And the best that they can do is to be prepared for any given situation. And in the things that we're offering them here, by singing these leading roles for the first time, it's very black and white to me. They're either going to rise to the occasion or they're not. Now, when I audition them and I interview them in that final stage of the callback, uh, I ask them some very pointed questions and I put them through some very uh, different coaching type situations because I want to see if they can they can make adjustments so that, you know, knowing that we're offering them these opportunities, I want to see that they can handle that pressure at any given time. And what's fascinating in in watching these kids i call them kids um but these young people <laughs> these wonderful young people uh they they sort of rise to the occasion you know in that way the only way they're going to survive or be successful is to be reengaged uh, by these various companies throughout the world and knowing that they are prepared for anything um is really kind of amazing. I mean, it, it, to yeah. see them to see them not be fearful of what lies ahead, given the current climate, was really um, astounding for me. It was very emotional, because they they you know we're all in a situation of the unknown right now, but they have these tools in their toolbox. They're ready to go with anything for anything and i mean we did something as crazy as mounting a production of cozy fantuti in 10 days and um and i will never forget you know the looks on their faces that first day of that rehearsal like are we really going to do this and you know i wasn't expecting perfection i didn't want perfection that wasn't the purpose of the exercise the purpose of the exercise was what are you going to do if you do get that call and you have to learn this role that quickly you need to know mm -hmm. that you can do it and that you will do it. And it was very interesting um, as we went around the, the room, so to speak, on Zoom. Um, one of the studio artists posed the question, well, what was your favorite memory? And it was unanimous. They all loved that experience. Uh, I mean, they had various experiences. You know, there were certain roles that that were dream roles for some of them. And we were, you know, we were able to provide them with those opportunities, which is again, very gratifying, but, um, but to see that they recognized within themselves 
that they had the power and the capacity to learn a role of that size because everything in Cosi Fantute is huge. There, there isn't one role that's smaller than the other. They're, they're all across the board. Um, you know, they're, they're demanding. And so to see that they were able to do that for themselves was, was really quite wonderful. Well, Chris, I can tell that working with singers in this way is incredibly gratifying on, on multiple levels. I know personally, uh, even just getting to witness it and, and seeing this beautiful music making that's coming out of this studio is wonderful to see uh, and, and very gratifying. And I can I think I can speak on behalf of many of our audience members uh, who just love watching this process happen and love getting to know the young singers that are in the Marion Ruse Pullen Arizona Opera Studio develop uh, at this early point in their careers. So uh, perhaps on behalf of all of us, thank you for the work that you're doing in this way uh, with the studio artists. Oh, thank you, Kyle. It's it's a real pleasure. And I, I, I consider myself to be very, very blessed to be able to do what I do. And um, it's it's one of the most rewarding things I could possibly get to do. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Christopher Cano, head of music and director of the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera Studio. If you're interested in getting to know a little bit more about the artists that were in the studio this past season, I highly recommend following Arizona Opera on Facebook and Instagram, where we've recently added many photos, performance videos, and even some interviews with these artists so that audience members can get an inside look at what their day-to-day lives are like. Arizona Opera's Marion Roos Poland Opera Studio is made possible through generous support from many donors, including Karen Fruin, Marion Roos Poland, Drs. Tom and Ginger Collier, Norman C. and Donna L. Harvard, Peter and Lee Larson, Roma Whitkoff, Helen S. Pearson, Robert S. and Shoshana B. Tanser, Alan and Linda Englander, Dan A. Klingenberg, Don Williams, Inez K. and Alexander B. White, Dr. Judith G. Wolf, A Gift in Memory of Mario Minetti, Elaine and Robert Schauer, The Greyhawk Classic Residence Foundation, Dennis and Jane Fennessy, Ollie and Terry Teenhouse, and an anonymous donor. If you would like to support the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera Studio or any other of our next-gen programs, you can find more information at azopera.org slash nextgen. I'm Kyle Homewood. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Arizona Opera Podcast. Thank you.